0: Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire and I'm an Associate Pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30am Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. Um, before I start, uh, I joined Twitter about uh, three, four months ago, and since then I've been writing a lot of comments. I don't write posts, I don't, write, but I comment on people's posts. And so I feel the urge to comment on things today. So I'm going to start off with Phyllis Raymer. I'm going to give you some advice, OK? <laughs> Next time you say you, you joined, when you, when you started a small group, say uh, that you started when Trudeau was prime minister. <laughs> that leaves room for interpretation, and you have to give away your age. Okay, Okay, and, and Poppy, you uh, can say the obvious. Uh, I think you have a gift in public speaking, and I really appreciate what you shared this morning. Okay, um, my wife, I really appreciate my wife. Um, when Tanya spoke last night, and uh, she shared her ideas, how the evening origi- originated, and she shared from Psalm 20, and even this morning, she spoke slowly and clearly, and she quickly got to the point. Is there, is there anybody else here thinking that maybe the wrong Jansen is speaking right now? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I really enjoyed last night. I enjoyed the ladies' skit, the singing and the, uh, the choreography and choreography, the harmony. But I couldn't get my eyes off Carol Seckley as she swung her prop. <laughs> and I thought, is she going accident- to accidentally strike the person beside her with the prop? You know, she- Okay, okay. <laughs> you could have made it look like an accident. That was, that was my point. <laughs> I appreciate your restraint. Okay. And just one more thing today, as, we're, as I'm giving my message today, I'm going to look around and see if anybody's falling asleep nodding off. Okay, I'm going to attribute that to the wonderful meal that we had last night, the lingering effects of that meal, and I think, it's, and not, not enough, and it will have nothing to do with the content of what I'm saying. I believe that is called denial. Okay, all right. I received so many elbows in church from my wife that I nicknamed her Gordy Howe. Okay, I'm just kidding around. She taps my leg when I'm falling asleep, just saying, okay. It's true, right? (laughs) I've been blessed with a great wife, and uh, I'm not sure if she can reciprocate that. (laughs) I'm not always a blessing to her. She's always a blessing to me. Okay, Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you that we can uh, gather together and and focus on you in song, oh God, in prayer and with your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit, Lord God, opens our hearts, our minds, and our ears and our eyes to what your word has to say to us. Last Sunday, I gave a message on geography and desperation, as observed in Matthew 4. We read together, uh, we, we read together that people from all over Israel, motivated by a desperate need for healing, Traveled great distances to northern Israel. I'm getting a little echo here. Is it these things or? Anyway. You guys do a great job and appreciate it. Um, when they do a great job, nobody notices, right? And I was talking to Daryl Little when I gave my, sorry, Daryl Ginrich, when I gave back my microphones. I said, I said that. I said, nobody notices you unless when you do anything great. And he goes, You know, I get, le- I get emails all the time and, and, and texts all the time saying how good a job I do. I go, really? He goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> so when we, if you don't notice them, they're doing great. <laughs> okay, so I'm um, going back to my, I've lost my place here now. When these people arrived, they, they traveled great distances to northern Israel. And when these people arrived, they were miraculously healed from their illnesses caused by disease, severe pain, demon possession, demon uh, seizures and paralysis by Jesus. Jesus was sent by his heavenly Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we saw the fulfillment of God's purpose and plan to restore the broken relationship between God and his creation, mankind. We we briefly reviewed how God himself, through the Old Testament, repeatedly tried to invite and call his people back to him, and the people instead walked away. And then after 400 years of silence, but not abandonment, God demonstrated, saying, if the people will not come back to me, I will go to them. God clearly demonstrated that he was also desperate to be with the people and to heal them. And in Matthew 4, last week, we saw the coming together of the intersection of a God who was desperate to be with his people. And a people were desperate in healing from their God. After the people were healed, they did not go back home. Instead, this crowd of people stayed and followed Jesus, the scripture says. In Matthew 5, verse 1, we read that Jesus saw the crowds, he climbed up the mountainside, sat down, and began to speak. The context tells us that in order for Jesus to be heard that day, without a microphone and a sound system, the crowd had to be quiet and they had to be completely still. Motivated to hear what this man Jesus had to say. I can picture them all leaning forward, eagerly eagerly anticipating what was about to be said. Because Jesus is speaking to a crowd on the mountainside in chapters five, six, and seven of Matthew, this is called the Sermon of the Mount. I'm sure we all knew that. Today, we're only gonna focus on chapter five and portions which Jim read to us this morning. Mm, see that, I'm shaking, I'm nervous here. Um, last week I mentioned I had a goal this year to read through the entire New Testament, but instead I end up focusing primarily on Matthew. Of course, I'm not claiming to know anything about, everything about Matthew in chapter five, but I'd like to share some insights that, that came up while reading and meditating on the scripture. I always assumed that the Sermon on the Mound was a big, long teaching session with a series of wide-range topics on different subject matters. But one of my discoveries of focusing in on this chapter is that Jesus' teachings were threaded together and connected with a centralized theme and and, and collectively had a point. But first, I kind of struggled as I prepared on how to present this information, information to you all today. I decided to share it in the order in the, in the thoughts of how they in the same order that how the thoughts came to me and the ideas came to me when I first read it. One of the first thoughts was that of these some of these Bible, Bible verses that I read, some did not make sense to me. And just to establish a foundation, I believe the Bible is the Word of God, and what Jesus says is absolute truth. I'm not suggesting there's a flaw in the Bible or anything that what Jesus is saying. What I'm saying is, if something does not make sense, I'm assuming it's my understanding and my knowledge that is flawed. I made a simple and somewhat goofy math equation to illustrate my point. Thank you, Warren. Like I know the answer is five, okay, because Jesus said so. Okay, and I see the two; it's clear; it's right there. Uh, so I assume that the blank is three, but I'm not seeing it. So when I'm not seeing the three in the text anywhere, I therefore conclude the passage does not make sense to me. And I see, it's kind of goofy, isn't it? Jim uh, read some examples. Read, Jim read one of the examples I was referring to. Uh, I think, no, we didn't. OK, I, I gave uh, the scripture there. I didn't hear him read it. He didn't do anything wrong. I didn't give him everything. Sorry. Murder, about the, the scripture about murder and anger. And mur- murder is always wrong. Uh, and inappropriately expressed anger is wrong. They're both equally bad in consequence. I've been on both sides of explosive anger. It is not fun to receive, even if the person apologizes. It does not erase what happened and the lingering impact of what happened. On the other side, I've listened to people uh, describe to me the hurt and impact of my anger had on them. And you know, that was very difficult to hear. Anger is bad. Murder is bad, but the consequence of murder is a dead body and a 25-year-old, 25, 25, uh, 25 years in a maximum security prison. The consequences of, ang- of being angry is plentiful, but they are nowhere close, to being, nowhere close to murder in my mind. So in my mind, they're not equivalent. But what Jesus says about anger has to be true. I believe that. I just don't see why. And I know something is missing for me to have the full understanding. And as the heads up, as I read on, I kind of received additional insight to why that makes more sense. In the past, I've read things that when when I read things that didn't make sense, I just tended to move on. But in this season of life, I did not. Instead, I reread it. I looked at the surrounding verses for context. I looked for things like repeated words, phrases, and themes for clues. In the following verses, I've noticed a repeating phrase um, right there. You have heard it said, followed by a quote from the Old Testament. This phrase is used six times, and there's a little bit of variation there, but Jesus is saying, I'll just, I, don't, I don't have to read that. You guys can see that. So the repeated words can signal uh, high-level importance, and I think it does here. As we, notice, as we note, Jesus was speaking to a crowd of people, who had a general knowledge of the Old Testament and were exposed to regular teachings at their local synagogue hence Jesus said to them you have literally heard these things many times before but at the time I asked myself um, what, what does Jesus say you know what, what does Jesus say about the Old Testament in the surrounding verses around this passage I was investigating looking for more clues Are there more connections to this thread of thoughts that we see here? And and yes, there was. Jesus spoke in the previous verses to these. And please note, the Old Testament is referred to as the Law and Prophets at the time. There was no New Testament yet, and so there's no basis to establish the distinction between old and new. You guys guys know that. Jim, I think, did you read this? Jim read this for sure. Jim read uh, Matthew 5, 17, and that should be up there too. Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Let's look at the content of this verse. Jesus is saying he has come to fulfill the law. Okay, just follow me here. Can we safely conclude that before Jesus came, the law was not fulfilled? Centuries before, the law was given to the people as a primary tool to make an atonement through sacrifice with the purpose of uh, people reconnecting to God, and Jesus became that sacrifice. We know at the end result, the people did not reconnect to God, and instead, they walked away. The law, therefore, was unfulfilled. The law had not worked as hope. Can we call, this, can we call the law a failure? And, and no, we cannot. Jesus says so twice in this verse. Jesus said he is not there to abolish the law. In the next verse, Matthew 18, which is not on the PowerPoint, I'll read it to you. For I truly tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, by, by, will by any means disappear from the law until it is accomplished. Jesus is clearly saying the reason for the failure of the implementation, Im- implementation of the law was not rooted in the law itself. In the event of a plane crash, there is always an investigation to determine the cause, what the purpose was to prevent further crashes. The cause of the crash always falls into two categories, either mechanical failure or human error. With the cumulative data of all these investigations, how many airplane crashes are said to be caused by human error? Does anybody know? Well, Google knows. It is 80%. Remember that time, Remember that. next time you book a flight. <laughs> Using the analogy of a plane crash investigation, an investigation, Jesus declares the failure to fulfill the Old Testament was 100% a human error. The mechanics of the Old Testament was perfectly sound. Jesus clearly said in these verses here, down to the smallest letter to the stroke of the pen. Men failed in his attempt to fulfill the law. And how did the failure of this law occur? How did it happen? And do these verses or other verses point to reason why? And I believe so. And we look in the preceding verses here. And then Jim read these verses as well. And it is, uh, you are the salt of the earth. uh, In verse 13. And you are the light of the world. There it is there. We kind of read that before, so you can refer to that. Now, the crowd who listened that day did not have refrigerators and electricity, so I'm guessing they immediately knew what Jesus was referring to without the aid of research that we need today. Salt preserves meat, preventing meat from spoiling, and allows people to have a continual meat supply to sustain life. It was their <laughs> that's how they fed their families. Other char- characteristics of salt. Salt is of singular use. It can only be used once, and even in our use of salt, on the roads, use it once, it's done, once and done. Salt enhances something other than itself. Salt alone cannot sustain life. One cannot eat salt for a meal and survive. (laughs) To sum up, salt is a singular and essential purpose for others, and the people knew that immediately when Jesus said that. Light is also singular and essential purpose for others as well. Light allows others to see clearly. Twice in this passage, light uh, uh, it is mentioned that light should not be hidden. Its only purpose is to allow others to see outward. Jesus clearly states the reason why, to see our good deeds, that God's work in our lives, and points to the glory of God in heaven. And what is God's glory? What is God doing? Well, currently what he's doing is he's sending his son, Jesus, to heal us, to redeem us, to reconnect us to Himself, this is God's highest and only priority for mankind. Jesus says we are salt. Jesus says we are light. We have a singular and essential purpose for others, and we do not live for ourselves. We do not. We, we do not have uh, no plan or no purpose. We don't. We, we shouldn't have multiple purposes, and we should not allow distractions into our path. We have a single and essential use for the purpose of others as we point to and light up God's glorious plan of restoration to all people we encounter. This is the message of hope, and this is the message of the gospel, which we declare on our banners on the sides here. This is Jesus' message to us in this passage. At the time when I was reading through Matthew 5, the story of the rich young ruler came to my mind. At first, I wondered if this was a distraction to lead me away from the passage. But as the more I thought about it, the more I realized the story of the rich young ruler became a key moment in my understanding of the Sermon of the Mound. In Matthew 19, which we have in the PowerPoint, please. Thank you. Um, I will read it. Just then, a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? What do you... uh, Why... Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. And if you want to change your life, keep the commandments. You notice that Jesus was pointing to the glories of God in that question. Which ones? He, uh, the man inquired. And Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And these were taken from the Ten Commandments, except for the last one, love your neighbor as yourself, which is from Leviticus. And Jesus again quotes it later when he's asked which are the greatest commandments are. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? At this point, I kind of stopped, had a brief, I kind of had a, like a, a self-realization. I shared the same viewpoint as the rich young ruler. I asked the same questions. I viewed the Bible when I read it in the context of what must I do? What is required of me? What do I need to do to please God to get into heaven? What boxes do I need to check off? I realized that this is my default setting when I read the, the Sermon of the Mount. And then the thought came to me, did this you know, default setting contribute to my lack of understanding to the verses I read earlier when I declared I did not understand them? Yeah, I think it did. Continuing on in Matthew 19, the young man said, I have obeyed all these commandments. What else do I need to do? And Jesus answered, you want to be perfect? Go and sell everything you have. Give to money to those who are poor. You'll have a treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away. He was very rich. This, this young man could not see beyond himself, and his own life situation. This man could not see anything beyond his own potential losses if he obeyed Jesus and sold everything and gave his money to the poor and then followed Jesus. This man did not even consider how his money, given away to other people, could impact them, could positively impact them. His money, for example, could have been given to a young widow to prevent her from starvation and her kids from starvation. His money could have been given to a man to allow him to buy a tool of trade, and then this man could support his family. This man could have been uh, this, this man's money could have been used to build a home for destitute people, offer them offering them needed protection and shelter from the elements, night and day. When this man came to Jesus, I bet he was confident that he was obeying and fulfilling the law as he understood. And why not be confident? He was likely modeling, and he likely, had, he likely had modeling and teaching from all the people he encountered, from his family, from his community, and from his religious leaders. This man had checked off all the boxes of what he understood was required of him, and in his mind, he was filling the requirements of the law. And he likely went to Jesus to have him affirm what he was doing. He clearly did not expect the answer he got, that's for sure, and he did not like the answer he got that Jesus gave him. To be honest, I don't think I'd like that either. (laughs) The answer received was not liked or appreciated, and this man walked away from Jesus, and he disregarded his invitation to befollow him. Unfortunately, this man failed in the fulfillment of the law. His community also failed. His religious leaders also failed. Jesus was not shy, later on in the New Testament, to confront the religious leaders of this day on this point. The nation of Israel failed to fulfill the law before, in the Old Testament, and in that present time, and it all came crashing down, like an airplane, like an airplane, with human error to blame. Look at the law, at the prophets, and the Old Testament, through the, if we look at the law, and the prophets, and the Old Testament, through the lens of self-focus. What must I do what's required of me? Is this a fatal flaw? Jesus, from the side of the mountain, was offering the people gathered there an imitation and a warning. This crowd of people who came from all over Israel who were desperate to hear from Jesus and what he had to say. And God, through his son Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, was desperate to communicate this very message. And here's the message. He's saying, you have a purpose, Jesus told all of them. And Jesus is telling this to us here today, too. We are salt. We are essential, Jesus told us. We have a single use, like salt, and that is our only purpose. We have a singular and essential purpose, existing not for ourselves, but to enhance others and preserve others, like salt does to meat. We are light. We are essential. Our purpose is not to be hidden, but shine the glory of God, highlighting and shining on God's promises of healing, redemption, restoration, and lighting that up for all to see in our testimonies and in our proclamations. This is our purpose. There's also a warning. Don't have multiple purposes. Don't do so many things that you don't... You just scattering around, have a singular purpose. Don't be distracted. And the people of Israel are constantly being distracted. The people, I'm constantly distracted. Don't withdraw and resign ourselves to having no purpose at all. I'm done. I'm out. I can't do anything. I have enough to offer. A burned out or covered light does not help anybody. Do not withdraw. We have a purpose, and we are essential in Jesus. We are all essential, Jesus says, just like salt and light. And we need to prioritize our life and get our lives sorted. We need to invest in our purposes, invest in the strengths that we possess and the gifts that we have been given. We must not offer excuses about why we can't. We must not live for ourselves. And instead, we, we, instead, we are graciously invited to live for the Lord and His purposes The rich rich young ruler was personally invited by Jesus to invest in others for the glory of God, for his purposes, and he was invited personally to follow Jesus. He was invited to be the salt and light. He was invited to have a singular purpose, an essential purpose for others to be the light of the glory of God and instead he walked away we are challenged by these scriptures we are invited by these scriptures to fulfill God's purpose in all of us to be singularly focused on others and not on ourselves to be to focus highlighting to others the work of the redemption and restoration and the testify of of God's glorious work and hiding the deeds he has done in our lives and inviting others to join us in the situation. Are we transparent with the people around us? Are we telling people what's going on with our lives? Are we doing that? Are are we saying, this is how I'm broken and this is how God (laughs) intervened and rescued me and saved me? That is our message to everybody, to the world. It takes courage, and it's lots of risk. For those six verses back earlier on there, um, those six verses where Jesus said, you've heard it here, you heard it there, the ones that had trouble understanding, they now make more sense to me. Jesus was not saying uh, murder and anger were equal. You probably figured that out. (laughs) He was saying that anger destroys relationships between people around them. They put put walls up and barriers between us, anger does, and and then how, okay, they put up walls and barriers between us and people, and how are we supposed to invite people and highlight God's glory to them with walls up? Reading on, it tells us in that same verse, it says our goal of that thing is to restore broken relationships and doing whatever it takes and includes, don't wait for them to come to you, you go to them. Jesus is saying that the highest priority is remove the barriers of brokenness between you all. If we don't, the barriers that our anger has created will persist, and the people around us may never see God's purpose, may never see God's desperate love for them, and may never have the opportunity for the people to be restored in relationship with their Heavenly Father. This scenario would be tragic and be as tragic as murder. And I believe that's what Jesus, the point of Jesus was saying. All sermons should have applications. You know, that's, that's part of it. It tells you the truth and then gives you, there it is. And this is Jesus' application part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is saying, if our, if our anger creates walls between the people around us who we were we called to give salt and light to, then we need to take care of and deal with our anger. We have work to do and we need to get on it, people. For me, dealing with my anger has been difficult for years. I, I did not acknowledge when I was upset. I denied it or I minimized it, saying to myself, oh, what happened to me? That didn't bother me. Um, oh, uh, you know what? I have no right to be upset. I'm a Christian. I, I shouldn't be upset at that. I shouldn't bother me at all. Um, and I just buried it. But the problem was that when the events happen again, over and over again, eventually it explodes, comes out inappropriately. The remedy for me has been to uh, recognize as soon as possible when upset, acknowledge it as hard as it is, and as soon as possible look for an opportunity to appropriately communicate with the people around me. I say appropriately because there's lots of ways to inappropriately uh, communicate your anger. (laughs) I've done it, been there, done that. And I need to do that as soon as possible. And part of that is not blame statements saying, you did this or blah, 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 blah. You say, you know what? Be gracious and say, you know what? This, when this happens, this is upset. This is how I feel. This is like a therapy session here, guys. <laughs> um, but, and then I own whatever offenses that I did. I don't blame them for my anger, okay? That's how I've dealt and dealing with, and I still do with my anger. Just, just, just a few months ago, I... Had a, I called the tire guy in Nexeter and I had two vehicles, and I, I got mad because I brought... I said, it didn't matter to me which one he did. He, he said, I didn't fix your car that was there because the appointment was for the other one that I had. And I said, well, ah, I blew up like a crazy man. I went there, I had to apologize. I, I, could, not, I could not function until I went there and owned what I did. And I, and I said, listen, I'm, there's no excuse for it. I had, I, anyway, you get my point. <laughs> I'm a work in progress. But I'm, dealing, I'm trying to deal with my anger, okay? I'm trying to own it, as Jesus is suggesting here. As I practice this, the barriers that I've caused other people, that they have, the barriers that people have erected to protect themselves from me, okay, are beginning to come down. I'm re-earning their trust. And with that, the barriers I have fulfilling God's purpose for me are also coming down with restored relationships, I can now speak into people's lives, or have an impact in people's lives, because they're no longer protecting themselves from me and my anger. Jesus goes on to give five more applications after that, um, and he points it out that, that the, there's things in their lives that prevent us from filling God's purpose in our lives, and I invite you all to read uh, Matthew 5, and he talks about, like, um, for example, in verse 31, he talks about marriage. If you invest in your marriage, invest in your wife, then you won't go to that next scenario. And loving your loving your neighbor, um, loving your enemies. I mean, we all have people in our lives we have conflict with. Jesus says, remove the barriers and all these things. I invite you all to check that out. Okay. Overall, this is a hard message. It's been a hard. It was a hard message for the people sitting on the side of the mountain listening to Jesus. It is a hard message for us today. In conclusion, I leave us with a hard question. To myself, mostly, am I prepared to accept God's invitation to live for a singular and essential purpose for others to shine the light on the glory of God? And this challenge is from the the scriptures here. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We have little to offer to you, offer you, Lord. Uh, but we give ourselves to you, Lord God. We thank you that you called us to a purpose—to be salt and light—and that you called us to remove the barriers that we have that we have created, or that others have created, to protect them from us, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, that we we pray for the restoration. Uh, For of relationships and necessary changes that need to make that happen. Lord, we ask you to give us the courage that we do not have to face ourselves and to face your truth of your scriptures and the fear that we have that when we give everything to you that we lose control. Nobody likes to lose control, Lord. We thank you for your example that you gave your life for us. And in that process, Lord God, you uh, you fulfilled, Lord God, uh, you fulfilled the law. You fulfilled your word of atonement and sacrifice that we benefit from, Lord God, that our sins are paid for. We thank you for all that, Lord God. we, Lord, we just pray. Lord, in this scripture, work today, lead us and teach us what we need to know from this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.